It is a blessing indeed to be able to gather together on a Sunday afternoon such as this, to appreciate the opportunity to be encouraged by those of like precious faith, to open the matchless Word of God and be challenged by, with the instruction found therein to live and walk in such a way that our sojourn upon this planet can be a peaceable one in light of service to God, and we can certainly go home to glory. Well, tonight, as we come to installment number three in our series on dinosaurs, we will arrive at just a moment in Job, the 40th chapter. I'll invite you to go ahead and be turning to that location. We have, throughout this series so far, invested a fair amount of time, and these introductory thoughts, in some way, simply serve as a bit of a summary. And so, wasn't it true in the opening lesson, we highlighted the fact that dinosaurs did exist, you and I find fossil evidence in appreciable amounts on all seven continents. There was a time in the distant past that dinosaurs existed, and they roamed the planet. We also discovered somewhat about the claims of science relative to at least 65 million and perhaps as much as 250 million years ago. We closed that lesson by looking at the Bible itself and noting that on the day six of God's creative activity, dinosaurs were created. And that's the same day man was created, and thus men and dinosaurs lived together on the planet. Now that idea is laughable to science, at least most of our science friends. But the fact is, the Word of God presents that with such directness. For wasn't it true that in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is? Exodus 20, verse 11. When we came to lesson number two, we then looked at various lines of evidence that in fact present the consideration that men lived with dinosaurs. In fact, we looked at no less than six particular petroglyphs, artifacts, other kinds of evidence that quite easily can only be explained that way. But all that brings us to tonight. In this third lesson, which is the concluding lesson of the series, we will give some detailed attention to the descriptions of the Bible that no doubt have attracted such dramatic interest over the years. Is this talking about a dinosaur? Does the Bible discuss them anywhere? Does it directly make presentation of the existence of creatures that would fall in the category of dinosaurs or something quite like them? Clearly a great question and one of intense interest. And tonight, let's see what you and I think about various passages occurring in the closing chapters of the book of Job. In Job chapter 40, we will encounter our first one. And as we do this, we shall simply ask, using the inspired penman's description, what kinds of things might then be concluded? This next slide will be one that gives us a description and a discussion of a creature that is presented for your consideration and mine in the 40th chapter of the book of Job. Now, rather than just to make presentation of the ideas of others, let's first read the passage. We'll let God make directness with regard to what He is discussing. And as we do that, then we will give attention with some care to various of the prescriptions and the characteristics stated and draw the conclusions that, in fact, I think will be reasonable. To do all of that by way of beginning, you may notice you're the top of that slide it might do us well to recall at least a bit of the setting of the book of Job. Job, it would appear, is the oldest book in the Bible. 
written even before the time of Moses. Now recall, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but it would appear that this book at least is older than they, in terms of the authorship at least. Now that being said, could I invite you to notice that would have been the patriarchal era in time. It was before the law of Moses was ever given. And that being said, might you and I keep in mind the kind of circumstance in which Job was. Job, of course, had calamities brought upon him in chapters 1 and 2. You and I recall the scene rather well. It was such that there was a day when there was tragedy after tragedy that came to Job. His animals were taken or lost. You may remember even his children were, were destroyed by way of this, this collapsing issues. And all of that reminds us, even Job's health was taken. Beginning in that particular setting, chapter after chapter proceeds with speeches. Job had some friends that came, and I suppose their intent was to comfort him that their intent was to provide a means of ease or at least a fellowship that might be respected. And yet, as they would make their speeches to Job, he would reply and make mention to them as he was not being comforted by what they said. But through it all, Job would at least make reference on occasion to God. And there were times, though he did not understand, he didn't directly point a finger of accusation at God, but he did at least have a wonderment and a question about the nature of God's dealings with things. You ought to be dealing a little bit better with me. After all, I've been faithful to you. Now, I'm paraphrasing some of the things we read in this book of Job. But finally, in Job chapter 38, the God of heaven replies. He now makes a direct response to the claims and even mental assertions that Job had made. Could I at least point out a couple of the verses? Notice as it begins in Job 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Don't you find that an amazing statement? So who is this has the nerve to talk who doesn't have the experience to back it up? Counsel without knowledge. That was Job. Job was referring and in fact making claims at least by way of respect to God, when he didn't have the full facts and he didn't understand the Almighty, the way, of course, that God should be understood by those that would accuse him. That same kind of thing occurs over in Job chapter number 40, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Who in their right mind would have the nerve to try to correct God? To try to reprove Him, and yet as those challenges were issued, that brings us now back full scale to the issue of our careful consideration tonight. You may notice on that slide before you, I'm going to invite your attention as I read Job chapter 40, beginning in verse number 15. Behold now Behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. 
He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fens. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. Though Jordan swell, I'm sorry, Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. And before us is a description of something called a behemoth. Now, you and I might with great intrigue have interest. What is a behemoth? What kind of a creature is this? It is for that reason on the slide. I would point out to you a number of things worthy of consideration. I'm sure that many would be quick to say, I'll thumb through my commentary or perhaps my Bible dictionary and I'll be interested to know what this behemoth is. I have pointed out on the slide what most commentators, and yea, even most other scholars, will be quick to tell us that a behemoth is and was. I've asked you to notice here. Some will take this point of view that it was a mythical creature. In other words, there really was no literal creature upon earth like this. It was merely something God was using to make a point to Job. Now, I'd point out that seems to make little sense. If God's point to Job was, Job, you have really no reason to accuse me in light of the wisdom of my creation. It doesn't seem as if choosing something that doesn't really exist would make much of a point in the mind of Job, at least, on on that consideration. You might also notice, throughout this description of chapters 38 to 42, many, many animals are listed. Most of the time, one has little consideration about the reality of the other ones. For example, look in chapter 39, verse 26. Reference is made to a hawk. Is that a literal animal? Look at the next verse. Verse number 27, reference is made to an eagle. Is that a literal animal? Look at chapter number 39, verse number 1. References made to mountain goats. Are those real? Well, by now, I believe that list is probably lengthy enough. As you scour these lists and appreciate the animals, one knows that these others are clearly real. And they were making a directed point to Job, for God said, I made that animal. Its behavior, its conduct were under my choices and were under the consideration of my expert creation. It would seem far-fetched then in the midst of all of that to come to a mythical creature like a behemoth that's supposed to make a dramatic point to Job. Because if that be true, Job had never seen one. And he would never see one if it was just a mythical, figurative kind of creature. You'll notice at the bottom of that slide, let's set that thought aside, for that certainly seems a bit ridiculous. Why don't we look carefully at some of the characteristics of the behemoth And maybe we will be in a position to draw some other conclusion in just a moment. I've listed a few of them, and might I draw your attention to them first. Verse number 15, apparently this behemoth was a creature known as one that was herbivorous. Fancy word, it means grass eater. 
I might ask, do we know of animals that focus their attention in terms of diet on grass? Now, I know we're quite familiar with some ancient creatures that were meat eaters. But may I point out, this creature apparently was well known not in that category. Look at what's next for your consideration. You'll notice in verse 15, if I could just point it out in passing, the God of heaven says, I made behemoth with you. Now that sounds much like what we noted earlier. On day six of God's creative activity, these land-dwelling creatures were fashioned and created and made, and that's the same day that the human family was made. I made this with you. Beyond that, look at what's next. Something very careful is noted about the strength of this behemoth. Did you notice in verse 16, His strength is in His loins, and His force is in the navel of His belly. Now some translations in terms of navel will use the word muscles. The midsection of this animal, this creature, apparently was noteworthy and obvious for the great strength and force which was evident in that person of, of, of its being. Now with that in mind, look at what else is quickly noted. His tail. The tail of this creature apparently was something to behold. He moveth his tail like a cedar. Now you and I all know about the cedars of Lebanon. The well-known trees in certain parts of that part of the world that were known for their constructive capability in terms of they were large, they were powerful, and used in many of the finest construction projects detailed in the Bible. The great temple of Solomon had a lot of the cedars of Lebanon in it. Not only that, you may remember many of the other things that David actually made use of in terms of his houses and otherwise. By now, I think we've seen strength in loins, powerful and apparently a fairly large tail. Look at what else is noted. His bones. The bones of this creature are described in verse number 18, strong pieces of brass, at least likened to this, and furthermore like bars of iron. Now you and I realize that the bones of creatures and even our bones can certainly have an element of strength to them. But there apparently was something very special about the strength available that may have been due to the size of these bones. It may have been due to other features connected to the way in which they in fact existed. But at the very least, we'll be interested to know, can we think of creatures whereby this description would be reasonable? Let's read on and note this. I've asked you to notice a statement, and then Brother Cale read this a minute ago. Did you note the wording of verse 19? Whatever this creature was, it is there said, He is the chief of the ways of God. The translation from which Brother Cale read used the word first. The indication in the ancient Hebrew is this creature, not was the first one created, mind you. That's not what the emphasis of the word first is. First would appear to have behind it the thought of mastery over this creature, apparently sizable enough to rule and reign over the matters connected to other creatures. There's a degree of preeminence in light of this creature. Now all of this has been described and our attention now might be this. 
I'm sure, again, we'd like to know, what was a behemoth? If you consult most of the writings that I was able to consult, it brings you to this observation. First, this creature was real. May we never think it was figurative or mythical. It was real. Just like the mention of the other creatures throughout this discussion by God before Job. But now with all that in mind, the overwhelming suggestion that seems to be the case, and many are quick to say, well, here in my Bible's footnotes, I'll be happy to tell you, and perhaps you've been in Bible classes where someone will be quick to say, well, my Bible says that was a hippopotamus. So was the behemoth a description of an ancient hippopotamus? Would that be a fair thing to conclude in light of the description that has been given? I would invite you to notice there appear to me to be some insuperable difficulties in taking the position that this was a hippopotamus. Let me suggest some of them, and perhaps you in your own mind might well have others in mind, but consider this with me. First of all, this creature, the behemoth, was such that there was a noteworthy tale to this creature, so much so that it was likened to a cedar, and one immediately has the image of a powerful and forceful and somewhat mighty tale. In the following picture, I'm going to show you a hippopotamus. Two of them, in fact. And we're going to use these descriptions to, in fact, aid us in at least thinking about the correspondence. First of all, would you look at the bottom left picture? This is a hippopotamus as seen from the back. Would you please note its tail? It looks more like a rope than anything else. Skinny, short, wholly unlike what you would think of as a cedar tree. And yet, the tail of the behemoth was not that. Now consider this also with me. It was also affirmed that this creature, the behemoth, was the chief of the ways of God. Would you look at the top right picture, please? There is an elephant and a hippopotamus. It would be impossible to think that the hippopotamus were the chief of the ways of God, with chief meaning, again, sizable or that which has mastery over, when there are so many other creatures, including an elephant, far larger than it is. It just appears as though the hippopotamus does not fit this. Furthermore, what about the bones of the hippopotamus? Are they known like brass, like iron? Are they known for their special elements and strength? Two weeks ago, you and I noticed the fossil evidence of other creatures. And some of these other creatures had bones that would in fact be almost as large as major sections of the hippopotamus itself. It certainly, again, does not in any way seem plausible that the behemoth was a hippopotamus. That just doesn't match. There are too many inconsistencies, too many incongruencies with respect to this. As you and I then revisit that previous slide, as I've listed for you again, one last observation. The behemoth was such that the strength was in his loins. Did it appear to you from those pictures that the strength of the hippopotamus was in his loins? Did it appear, in fact, that there would be a sight of his special strength and source of force? 
it surely does not appear so even in an adult hippopotamus, which is what you and I just saw. I would point out to you that it, again, does not seem as if it could fairly be said that a hippopotamus fits this description. What then is it? If it isn't a hippopotamus, and it's no other creature in that family of such things, could I at least offer you this thought? In light of some of the things we have seen, and perhaps in light of a picture like this one, could it possibly be imagined that a creature like this one might well fit far more of those characteristics and perhaps even all of them? Now, I would say to you, look at the tail of this creature. Would it be able to do some damage in terms of fighting off an enemy? Would it be able to even make destruction with respect to trees or other kinds of, of, of objects? Would it be possible to say strength in the loins? Clearly, as this animal were to pivot left or right or even forward or back, there would be an incredible source of strength connected to the center of gravity wherein the forces necessary would in fact be able to take place. I simply point out to you that some creature like this one would seemingly fit far closer to the descriptions, especially in light of chief of the ways of God. This kind of a creature would tower over so many other creatures. In fact, only others in the same family would be taller than this one. I would submit to you, it would certainly appear as if the word behemoth might well have been a dinosaur. Now, one might be quick to say, well, if that be true, why didn't the translator just call it a dinosaur? Partly, again, that relates to timing. The word dinosaur didn't come into the English language until 1842. The translations that you and I love so dearly occurred a couple of hundred years before that. They didn't know anything about the word dinosaur. So may I just suggest to you, I would think that the behemoth was not a hippopotamus. Far more likely, some kind of a creature that you and I would recognize as a dinosaur, partly again due to verse 15 when God said, I made it with you, Job. Job had seen one of these. He had seen an image, a creature like this one, and it left a lasting impression. We've now looked at the behemoth. You might ask if there are others as well in the Word of God. While you're on the page that you are, why not look with me at chapter 41? In the 41st chapter of the book of Job, you and I encounter another creature. This one too may be somewhat unfamiliar to us, but I hope that over the next few moments at least some familiarity can come to be the case. One more time, would you remember with me that God's usage in references to these animals, be it either Leviathan or the behemoth, was to impress upon Job God's capability as a creator, His wisdom as a creator, and that He need not be challenged by those who obviously know far less than He. God's now going to point to a Leviathan and say, Job, consider that creature. I made it. Could you have made it? Could you have skillfully put together and crafted a creature with those kind of qualities. You might ask what qualities and what references did God make? Let me begin reading in verse number 1, and let's listen to God describe the Leviathan. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook, 
or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put an hook into his nose, or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird, or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Shall the companions make a banquet? Shall they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons, or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion. Who can discover the face of his garment, or who can come to him with his double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride, shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another, they stick together, and they cannot be sundered. By his sneezings a light doth shine, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. In his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone, yea, as hard as the piece of a nether millstone. When he raiseth himself up, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the habergeon. He esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp pointed things upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not his like. Who is made without fear? He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. Now we just read the fullness of Job 41. And yet as God made the description of Leviathan, we are in a similar position to what we were in with Behemoth. We'd like to know what is this creature. Clearly, God is using it. And did you notice the language of verse number 10? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Job, if I made that Leviathan, what right have you to challenge me? We could see the point. Clearly, Leviathan is no imaginary creature. He was real. And Job apparently was aware of him. On this slide, I've invited you to again notice a number of qualities, characteristics of Leviathan. I again have only selected a few, but I hope they are impressive enough. Did you notice it was first of all highlighted his ferociousness? 
Did you notice in terms of a weapon, things like javelins and darts? Why well, he laughs at them. They couldn't penetrate the scales. They were unable to penetrate and do any damage at all to him. Men were afraid of him. Verse number 9. He was impossible to tame. There was nothing that could be done. God rhetorically asked, Would you tame him and use him like a pet? The apparent easy answer was no. One more time, could you notice? The deep boiled like a pot as he moved in the water. I use all of those as descriptions to close that slide like this. When he raised himself up, he apparently became very high and was able to be, in fact, like a king over the things around him. This creature, you see, had a tremendous capacity in that light. One last thing is this. He was able to breathe fire. Fire and smoke came out of his mouth and nostrils, and in so doing, he again was very ferocious in the ancient time and day. The time, I suppose, has come to ask, what is Leviathan? What kind of a creature was he? This next slide is one that makes, again, a number of observations, the first of which is the reality of this creature. I realize well that we may read fairy tales and stories to our youngsters that may have dragons and things like that in them. May I point out to you, the Bible often refers to dragons and often refers to creatures, and so you and I ought not think that such things never existed in reality upon earth. It might also be fairly noted. I think we're in a position to one more time ask, what was Leviathan? And just as was the case before, some might be quick to say, well, the commentator's notes in my Bible. Thankfully, I have the answer. And others might be quick to say, a host of scholars, by their dubious considerations, have thankfully shared with us that this creature is a crocodile. Well, let's give that some consideration. Was the Leviathan a crocodile? Does that fit this description in a way that would be consistent? One by one, I've invited you to notice a few of the things at the bottom. First of all, this creature, as described in a number of the early verses, is portrayed as untamable. Portrayed as sufficiently fierce that people fled from it. May I ask, have crocodiles been tamed? Is it the case that there are those who catch them, who in fact do various things to them? There was a man who had a television program called The Crocodile Hunter. You may remember him. I think he's dead now. He, he met his demise. But the point is, for many years, he would hunt creatures such as these. Crocodiles, I mean. On this next slide, some pictures of crocodiles. Here are three pictures of a crocodile. You may notice, as you proceed to look at them one by one, I'm going to use those pictures while they're before you to invite your consideration to a few of the points that you and I noted earlier. First, with regard to Leviathan. Wasn't it true that several things about Leviathan were stated, one of which the fierceness and untamability of him, and that isn't true of these creatures. At the bottom right, there's a man who has caught one, a crocodile, and actually has loaded it onto, onto a trailer. Clearly, this animal was able to be caught. 
And to this day, we know easily that such is the case. What else about the features of this Leviathan? A great deal of description is given in this text to the scales of Leviathan. So mighty and so hard and so close that even air couldn't get through them. The scales, the text says, are his pride. May I invite your consideration to the scales of a crocodile? Are they like that? Are they penetratable? The bottom left picture perhaps is the clearest one I would turn your attention to. Would you notice? I suppose you and I might easily think about the scales on the back side of the crocodile. What about those under his belly? You thought the same thing. He doesn't have any under his belly. And this picture, notice under the mouth of the crocodile, that skin under there is rather tender and soft, wholly unprotected there, at least by scales. This description portrays that Leviathan had scales over his body, not only on one side. May I suggest this doesn't fit Leviathan, at least in that regard. But what about nextly? Look at that picture at the top, right. Now here's a picture of a full-grown standing crocodile. May I ask the way in which that meshes with text that when he rises up, Leviathan I mean, the text said when he rises up, he becomes fierce and ferocious and is able in highness to observe all that's around him. Even when he's standing up, a crocodile is no more than a couple of feet, two or three feet tall. That doesn't seem to fit this at all. Could I point out to you again two of the passages that we read earlier? First, verse 34. He beholdeth all high things. Something high, the crocodile will never see it. Not only that, look back earlier. In verses 12 and 13, you notice the crocodile is described, or at least portrayed in a way that doesn't seem to match, that which directly is the Leviathan. One by one, as you and I have at least looked at these pictures, I think we can definitively say that Leviathan was no crocodile. It had to be a creature far larger, far more impressive, capability of far higher things than this. One more thing. May I ask the way in which the following description seems to match a crocodile? He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. When a crocodile swims, the water barely moves. Many have been the records of a crocodile who, in fact, will capture fully a dog, and the dog never even knows he's there. He is so stealthy, so clever. The creature that we're reading about, the waters were made to boil like a pot. His size, the stirring of the water was so evident. It certainly was not stealthy. For all these reasons, I believe it's evident to see the Leviathan was no crocodile. Our question is then, what was it? What kind of a creature might this have been? Let me turn back to that previous slide. And as you and I come to the bottom of that slide, we note this. This description portrayed that Leviathan could breathe fire and smoke. Crocodiles cannot do that. But that still begs a question, what is it? Well, I point out to you at the bottom, this description does fit creatures that not technically a dinosaur were dinosaur-like. 
Now, I say that for the following reason. Remember, dinosaurs technically were land-dwelling, air-breathing creatures. This creature apparently lived in the water. So that would remove technically the idea of a, of a dinosaur, but notice how dinosaur-like that he actually appears to have been. His size, his noteworthiness, and the other features that were there. And so, this is a picture and that only. So please do not take this to heart. Have there ever been creatures living in the water of sufficient size, of sufficient ferociousness, of sufficient capacity to have been like a Leviathan? Now, you and I would be quick to notice. Remember, if the book of Job describes a time and a place prior to the flood of Noah's day, which it may very well have, creatures like that may ultimately have become extinct not long after the flood. Look at the size of that thing. On the left is a shark. If there were creatures sizable like that, and note even his body is behind in the portrait back there, if creatures like that were in existence... Job, of course, knowing about it, one would behold the majesty and power of such a thing. And when it became out of the water, in highness, I suppose all, just like the text would have said, would have fled from it. Now that kind of creature appears to be much more like the Leviathan of which we read than anything like a crocodile. At that point, why don't we close our lesson tonight? We have used a series of lessons reflecting upon dinosaurs, and I hope we've been impressed with a number of things in connection to the Bible and in connection to that which is the truth of God. Science and the claims of science, of course, have said many things, and we have been quick to note many of those distinctions and differences, quite frankly. But the Word of God's never wrong. There were ancient creatures like a Leviathan, and they taught real lessons so impressive that Job understood it. May I ask, how did Job react to this when God said, Look, I made that Leviathan, and if my wisdom and my power allowed me to make a creature such as that, Job, you should bow in submission fully and completely to me and understand my wisdom and my capacity for making such a thing. I hope you're well aware that in Job 42... Job in humility said, God, I have been wrong. Your power, your creative capacity, and all of these wisdom points you've pointed out have led me to understand even the finest of my wisdom doesn't compare with yours. If only the human family would continue to feel like that. Let's close this lesson in this series then by noting that the study of dinosaurs should not be something of which a Christian is afraid. We ought not allow our science friends to monopolize dinosaurs for their purpose to promote their ideology of ancient evolution. Dinosaurs and all the evidences that we have studied point to the fact that men saw them and lived with them. And even the Bible describes two creatures who apparently would fit at least either identically or close to the category of dinosaurs. Tonight, don't we serve a great God? A God who is mighty and powerful, but also loving. And He is so desirous of you and I to be His child, His faithful children. If there's anyone in this assembly that would desire to become a faithful child of God, we'd love to assist and help.
that plan of salvation continues to be believe in the Lord and repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized. If you have at one time known that kind of life, and you know you knew the worship of a God powerful enough to make dinosaurs, but maybe over time you've become unfocused. You've become to think more of your own capacity than He is. That's a tragic mistake. Jeremiah said it like this, speaking for God, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps, Jeremiah 10, 23. Tonight, if we could assist you in being rededicated to the Lord, it'd be our joy. It'd be our time of encouragement for you. If you'll repent of those sins and make confession of them, God has promised in wonderfulness of, to, of course, forgive them. If we could be of some assistance tonight, won't you come while he's standing while we sing?